So let's talk about natural intelligence. We've talked about artificial intelligence and strategic intelligence, a term we sort of invented. Uh, what about the other kind? The kind with which we're all more familiar because we use it every day. Hopefully. Hopefully you're using your intelligence every day. This is Retrace, November 2nd, 2020, a Monday, segment number 10, Re-10. We're going to talk about natural intelligence, and we're going to talk about guessing, because that might be important to understanding intelligence. We're going to talk about checking, for the same reason. We're going to talk about fighting, because it just seems to be something that intelligent things do, or might do. Uh, congratulations, by the way, on being smartish. Uh, you must be if you're listening to this, unless you're a dog, and but even dogs are smartish, but someone turned it on against you, or a child, you know, your parents are listening and you had no say in it. Anyway, uh, I, those two examples I brought up were actually smartish things. I, I was trying to think of an example of something that was not smartish that could still be listening to this to this podcast or live stream, but actually, you know, by the definition, uh, the, the strict technical definition of smartish as uh, provided by Yudkowsky, um, actually not as provided by him, as provided by our interpretation, because I don't think he said anything about this. Uh, you know, if you're listening to anything, you must be some level of smartish, right? Because listening and hearing, if they're different, fine, but a rock can't do either one of them. And there's no smartish in a rock. We know that for sure. Congratulations. And then also uh, our condolences to you on the loss of your confidence in being smarty pants, because surely you've lost it by now, right? I mean, how old are you? How old are you? Listen? This is not for children, this show. I've, I've had to tick that box in several locations uh, to do with other, business stand, other businesses' standards and needs uh, for information about this show, this is not a show for children. You must be of some age where you've realized the frequency with which stupidity comes out of your smartish brain. Please tell me you know this. Please tell me. Okay, you're a genius. Great. Geniuses are the best. They're, the, they're really fun to deal with. They, um, they're fun to listen to. You're a genius. And you don't, therefore, have any reason to mourn the loss of your confidence in your own smartishness. Well, for the rest, you can tune out at this point, by the way, genius. For the rest of us, um, yeah, it is pretty disappointing to find out how stupid we are. You know, you can spend a lot of time marveling at your own genius. We all do this, right? Hopefully less and less over a lifespan. Um, it's all well and good for three and five and eight and 12-year-olds to marvel at their own genius because it's there. It's true. I mean, we are really individually and as a species geniuses, right? Or you can use the word differently and say we have genius or that we do genius, but there's genius there. I mean, what, what that word exists because it should. There's something to which it corresponds. And I am going to resist the temptation to fall into the pit of philosophy of language despair and say, yes, the term corresponds to something in the world, even though philosophers of language would are, are rolling in their graves if they're dead and something else if they're alive. Yes, the word genius means something and you have it, but 
so, so too is true about stupidity and stupid and dumb and idiot. All of those things are just as real. And you have them. You are them. If you're a genius, you're an idiot. There has never been in the records kept by humanity anything to indicate that one of us wasn't at some point an idiot. Okay? So that includes you. I've checked all the records, every single one of them. There's idiots. We're all idiots and we're all geniuses. Uh, okay. So, so you must be mourning that, that loss. You know, I, you know, I, you just, you, it's not stubbing your toe. It's like, it's like way worse than, stubbing your toe is not stupid. It's, it's a, uh, here we go. We're going to get into the, the stuff. It's, it's about perception, right? You, you misperceived the location of your foot. Is it proprioception? Is it visual? It doesn't matter. Your foot crashed into something and now you're in pain. Okay. Uh, it didn't have to be that way. We don't think, but it was, it is that way, right? So stubbing your toe is one thing. What's the equivalent? What's the intellectual equivalent? We don't say people who stub their toes are stupid. We might, if they do it repeatedly, call them clumsy, not the same as stupid, okay? Clumsy is like body stupid. And uh, when we say stupid, we usually don't mean body stupid. Um, Now, brain stupid people also tend to be body stupid, but not necessarily in the clumsy way. I mean, really brain smart people can be body stupid. And and, but we know for sure that, you know, if you're jumping off a bridge and you didn't check the bungee cord or you don't have one and you think the water is <laughs> soft like a parachute landing, yeah, you're, you're I'm sorry, you might be young. Uh, as many, especially men, tend, boys and men tend to be sort of, I don't know if it's, where does it start? Is it brain stupid that leads you to jump off a bridge for, for the thrill of it or to show off? Or is it, is it body stupid you just don't realize where your body is or where it's going to be in a few seconds, something akin to stubbing your toe. Who knows, okay? The point is, what is the point? I didn't know. Okay, so natural intelligence is not easy to get our hands around, uh, but if you've lived at any length of time, uh, you know that you are not as smart as you thought you were. There are exceptions. There are people out there who just think they just they think they're geniuses, and these people are amusing. And then, you know, sometimes they get in charge of something, and it's disturbing to the rest of us. Okay. Uh, well, what is intelligence other than this smartish stuff coming out of brains? Um, well, we can say it's guessing. Um, you know, guessing correctly. We can say that it's. You know, being smart about your stupidness and not letting, not fooling yourself, not not uh, not making intellectual mistakes or procedural mistakes or things that things to, to which we're all vulnerable. You don't make those mistakes. You're not particularly good at guessing answers, but you're really good at finding them like a bloodhound, right? Um, okay, and then and then there are there are other sorts of ways we can talk about being smart. But just to just to be clear here, okay. Um, we, as brilliant as the species is, this, it's so weird to say this species, the species, we are the species, as brilliant as we are as a group and, and have been generation after generation, we just, we keep building on prog- uh, making progress and building on, um, on the progress that came before us. Uh, we have consistently and continue to today and will undoubtedly continue into the future, uh, held very untrue things to be true 
because we were stupid about them. We, we didn't do what common sense says you should do when you have a belief. We, okay, so the, the big easy ones to grab are astronomy. We went from, you know, various systems up to the Ptolemaic, uh, Ptole, I knew I was going to say Ptolemaic, because um, I'm looking at it on a piece of paper, Ptolemaic, the, the, you don't pronounce the P. The Ptolemaic uh, astronomy, I think he was like an Egyptian astronomer, I think he was Egyptian, but there were many Ptolemies, there were like three Ptolemies, the elder, the younger, and then the astronomer. I think they're all different people, and anyway, before Copernicus, the Copernicus uh, you know, the Copernican Revolution, heliocentrism, uh, as opposed to geocentrism. So, the Earth goes around the sun as, as opposed to the, the opposite of that. Um, okay. So, we the Ptolemaic system was, they called it Almagest. I don't know if Majest, Magest, I don't know. Almagest, um, the greatest, you know, was the title of the book, his book that sort of codified the system of how, why, why the planets and stars move the way that they do. And it's like this sort of complicated, convoluted, you know, epicycles, these sort of, you know, spheres and rings and things that are, in which these heavenly bodies are embedded and they move because of the just peculiar and, 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 and scattered geometry of the world in which we live. That's why they seem to, you know, planets, what we know are planets now, they didn't back then, uh, move in a way that's inconsistent with the background of stars, and then why does the sun go this way, and why does the moon go that way, and uh, or you know, and all this stuff, right? That's the Ptolemaic system. Copernicus and Tycho Brahe and several other people, you know, come come along and um, put together the data and do the do the arithmetic and um, and come up with a much simpler explanation for things. Okay, so that's you, the, we should have we should have put together the data and and done the arithmetic before El Magest, right? But it's it's hard. It's hard not to be stupid when you're stupid. We're all stupid, and and it's we're just lucky that we're not completely stupid as a species or as individuals. Uh, the other another example is uh, the germ theory of disease, uh, infectious disease. Um, you know, before we can't see these things, we need instruments to see them. Just like we need, a, Galileo needed a telescope to see Jupiter's moons. We need a microscope to see germs. We didn't have that. Uh, but, you know, even starting in the 11th century, I just you know, brushed up on this. Uh, not even brushed up, just read about it for the first time because it's just it just got to me through culture before today. Uh, even, you know, in, in the Middle East, in as early as the, the 11th century, uh, they were starting to figure out um, some of the Ibn's, Ibn Sina or whatever, they were starting to figure out germ theory stuff, and it wasn't popular in Europe because of, you know, we were holding on to old ideas, and then, like, like algebra, it came over uh, later, after the so-called dark ages. But anyway, the germ theory of disease, it's not, it's not humors, it's not spirits, it's not, you know, it's, it's little bugs, or, and they don't even have to be alive, they can just be sort of little devious chemistry experiments. Okay, fine. The germ theory, we were dumb, now we're smart. I mean, you can argue that that wasn't a thing of stupidity, but it's, it's inference, right? We couldn't we couldn't see air. We still can't see air, uh, but we figured out that you know the something's moving the trees when when uh, something's happening when the when the trees blow and if you you know your one side of your arm gets cooler. There, there's something there that we can't see. Now let's think about that. Let's take that seriously. What about this? Isn't a great example, but like the bowling ball and the feather, you know. In a, in a vacuum, these things fall at the same time, at the same, uh, you know, velocity and acceleration, um, because, because 
I don't know, what am I going to talk about gravity right now? The point is they do. And, and, but you couldn't tell that, this one was much harder, you couldn't tell that by just dropping a bowling ball on a feather, because obviously the bowling ball goes straight down the feather. You know, it occupies itself in the air for a little while, because, you know, wind resistance, uh, which we can now talk about easily without ever, ever having studied it. I'm talking about these things, I've never studied any of them. I haven't, I haven't, you know, checked Copernicus's model or Newton's work on that model or, or, or equations of gravity. I haven't checked any of that stuff against observation. Same with the germ theory. I, uh, I take antibiotics when I think I have a bacterial infection. I don't take them when I think I have a viral infection. And, and I think one or the other based on what my doctor tells me, or more likely just some random, you know, uh, the Mayo Clinic page, uh, that, that, you know, these symptoms are probably that. And, I, I haven't checked any of this stuff. I, I, I've never in my life, still to this day, dropped a bowling ball and a feather at the same time in a vacuum. I don't know why. I just never find myself in a vacuum. You can do this. There's a place in Ohio. NASA has a place in Ohio. I was just watching a video of it today uh, where they can drop bowling balls and feathers in vacuums. That's the whole reason they built the place and they've done it uh, repeatedly. Okay, so we, someone had to figure, someone really had to think smartly smartishly about what they were seeing in order to figure out a, the best, a better or the best explanation for what's going on out there, of course, is what we care about on this show. What's going on out there, they had to think about it. They had to be smart, not dumb. A lot of dumb went by, but then some smart came through and we grabbed onto it. Why? Why do you grab onto it? Why, why does the smart stuff tend to take hold? One of the, uh, one of the, uh, one of the what, I don't know, one of the people we're going to hear from today, uh, Richard Feynman, says that it's, it's because the truth comes out. It, it's, it's, that it, that if something's true, it doesn't change, whereas if something's false or misunderstood or, you know, an illusion or, or, or something, you know, some manifestation of a truth that we don't really get, it, it changes. It doesn't, it eventually reveals itself to be true or, you know, this idea that you have a belief or something reveals itself to be true or not um, because of the nature of the thing you're dealing with. And we're just lucky that nature doesn't change under our feet all the time. Uh, it didn't have to be that way if you can imagine a different universe. Anyway, okay. Uh, we're going all over the place and let's, let's, let's reel it in. Let's start with guessing. Uh, okay, so Horace Barlow said this about guessing. He said, the unity behind all intelligence is, quote, the goal of improving the reliability of predictions by exploiting the redundancy of sensory messages. In other words, intelligence helps us to guess right. Now, this is, a, this is his sort of um, closing argument or closing uh, um, statement in a really interesting article about guessing and intelligence in Oxford Companion to the Mind. Is it Companion to the Mind? Yeah, Companion to the Mind, 2004. Uh, Horace Barlow. Okay. Um, he says that, you know, basically we can think about intelligence as, as sort of detecting uh, new non-chance associations. He calls them associations. We could say patterns, right? New non-chance patterns. Um, notice the detecting. See margin segment eight or something, seven or eight, about detecting is not affecting, um, effecting or affecting, both. Uh, oh, so you detect 
a new non-chance pattern in the environment around you. That's, that's one way of thinking about intelligence, according to Horace Barlow. And uh, that the, the steps involved in, uh, in, in sort of making and testing guesses are formulating the guess, uh, checking it, and then elaborating the consequences. Those are the steps. Um, now, what this comes down to for Horace Barlow and for others, in particular, a very interesting author that I've just sort of noticed today, MacPhail, uh, <laughs> spelled with a PH, um, is that intelligence is not connected to learning or learning ability. Uh, I'll say that again. Intelligence and learning are not associated if you look at the data as MacPhail did and, and subsequent authors have done. I've looked at a few places. I read that. I just thought it was nuts. How can intelligence, we're talking about natural intelligence, obviously, how can intelligence not be associated with learning ability? Now, this is undoubtedly controversial. Uh, you know, we're not experts in the domain of natural, artificial, or strategic intelligence here at Retrace, but we're uh, looking closely at them. Uh, but Barlow cited MacPhail's 1982 book. I, it's a... I'm going to get my hands on it, but it's expensive. i got to, I got to talk to the finance department. Uh, a 1982 book uh, uh, that was at least his, um, the result of his looking at years of prior studies that, uh, the, in, in various creatures um, of you know, learning ability versus intelligence. As, as you know, however you measure them, you have to be specific about how you're measuring these things, of course. Um, and, but he found no association between the two. So let me put that a different way. Let's say you're a really good learner. Uh, now remember, I haven't gotten my hands on the book yet, so take this summary of a book I have not read with a big giant uh, brick of salt. Um, let's say you're really a really good learner, uh, a fast learner. Um, well, depending on how you define that, or how you tested it, or how why you think that, what's the evidence that you've put together that says I am a Fast learner, good learner. Um, let, let's say that you you did a you you know you used a valid measure of it. Uh, that wouldn't tell us anything about your intelligence. How can that be? How can that be? What it means when I say it wouldn't tell us anything, it's like you could have you and a clone of you, except with the learning thing broken. Okay, so you and your 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 slow learner doppelganger. And you might both be the same. I can't even say it. It's crazy. You might both be the same level of intelligence or your intelligence as measured by your, what, you know, pick your measure and your measure is a very decisive choice, of course. The measure might be the same. The numbers might be the same. You might both be a 10 or a 6, but you pick things up with no effort and, and dimwitted you... <laughs> Uh, okay, we have to go into that, but we can't today because we don't have the resources. We'll talk to finance. Okay, uh, we'll we'll look. At, okay, well, what what is uh, intelligence associated? What is it? If it's not learning, what is it associated with? What's what's the thing that sort of a hint that there's intelligence or there will be intelligence, some predictor other than the measurement of it? It's a perception. Perception. Stubbing your toe. 
Maybe not the best example, stubbing your toe, you know, that's, but it's the way that Barlow argues it in, uh, in his, in his, in, in Oxford mind here, uh, is that intelligence is like our ability to soak up information in the environment and find new non-chance patterns in that information. He calls them redundancies, and he uses that as a technical term from information theory. We're not strong on information theory here at Retrace, so I'm going to leave that, but let's just say redundancies are a technical term, and we'll, we'll, we'll set them aside. You're soaking up the available information in an environment and detecting now, the crazy thing, too, I mean, there's so much crazy stuff. So, Barlow says, and I'll take his word for it, and he, he cites sources, but that doesn't mean that he's right. Citing so I cite sources, and that doesn't mean I'm right about everything. Uh, he cites sources to, to support this idea that, um, that because, of, because of the rigor of information theory, which is mathematical at its heart, you know, Claude Shannon and all that stuff, they, we, we tighten this up, we. Claude Shannon and I tightened this up in the uh, 60s. Um, because of the rigor of of um, information theory, we can actually we can actually define. Uh, th- there's a zero and a one hundred. There's sort of like an, a perfect. Um, uh, I, okay, I need to read it the way he wrote it because I'm going to botch this because it's. Okay, he says um, there is a. He calls it associative efficacy, and he says that. The amount of evidence required for the oh man, I should have, I should have, okay. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, we could, in principle, measure uh, the the uh, one aspect of intelligence uh, that could, in principle, be measured objectively and in absolute terms uh, is is this sort of ability to to oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, listen, I'm not prepared. There, there's so much good in here that I I'm I, I, I'm struggling to find the best place where he says. Uh, what I what I'm trying to not say myself, so that I don't get it wrong. Um, it's basically the amount of evidence in the environment can be that's so that that's uh, relevant to the non-chance pattern is um, we have statistical tools that would tell us what the most efficient way to detect that pattern would be. He says it better than I do, and I'm not prepared. Sorry about that. Uh, that we have, so statistically, we can define how much you know what, what's what is the best what is the best possible um, performance on a, on a test of, uh, of, of a given environment to find the pattern in it? And the best possible, we can find that statistically using mathematics. And then the worst possible is uh, that you, you, you know, the, the, perfor- the, the testee, the subject, uh, doesn't get any part of the pattern from the information. They get zero. Those are absolute measures of intelligence, as opposed to the way that we think of intelligence being measured, which is comparison between, you know, an individual in a population or between species or whatever. So instead of just sort of comparing in order to, to, you know, using IQ or something like that, comparing a single intelligence to its, its, you know, community or uh, a a specimen of intelligence to another specimen from another species, that sort of thing. um, You could actually define it statistically and say that the dumbest specimen, the dumbest of us uh, detects not even a little bit, zero of the pattern in a given a pile of information or, or, you know, pile of stimulation. Uh, and then the best uh, does it with the least amount of information, least amount, detects the pattern with the least amount of information, using the least amount of information um, that they could have, mathematically could have. 
Okay. Uh, so that that's crazy. That's crazy. We have an abs- We have we have the hopes of an absolute definition an definition of intelligence. Um, We've talked about an artificial intelligence uh, that that tech, lots of technical work is, has been and is being done on a definition of intelligence, but it's not like that. It, it well, they, those things might be converging. I don't know that you know this. We're talking two thousand four, and then uh, uh, Leg and Hutter were later, five ten years later, uh, and, and but you know these things are undoubtedly going to converge. But um, but we're talking about natural intelligence here, and an absolute measure of natural intelligence would be crazy. I mean, IQ tests are, they're strange. They're strange. They might leave you thinking that you can study for them and get the right answers or that, you know, they're, they're biased in some way in favor of people who grow up in certain environments, all that stuff. And I'm not saying that, that you know, I don't, I don't have an opinion about it. I haven't looked into it closely enough. Uh, but, you know, y- you can imagine these things. Whereas if you're measuring uh, the intelligence of a person or a machine or an animal, um, according to, you know, very tightly controlled uh, environment of stimulus, and then you can see how how long it takes them, or whether they ever uh, detect a pattern, uh, and, and how much information they needed in order to detect it. You can you can define it absolutely. Am I am I spending too much time on this? I think that's crazy. Okay. Uh, well, okay. If uh, if if intelligence is about perception, not learning. Which you know maybe maybe Barlow is right maybe not maybe McPhail is right maybe not we'll, we'll go further. Um, okay, well, what about uh, what, what other things that we think of as being intelligent are nothing to do with any of that? So this is where checking comes in. So we just talked about guessing. You, you're you're intelligent if you guess correctly more than some other creature. Uh, well, what about checking? Maybe maybe checking has nothing to do with intelligence. Uh, just the way that that perhaps learning has nothing to do intel- with intelligence, but it sure seems like it does. It sure seems like if you check your work, that's a smart thing to do. I mean, you know, and you, we all remember the the kids in school who didn't have to check their work, or or people who can do arith- arithmetic quickly in their heads, which is a skill, by the way. You can get a book on it and get better at it, uh, which I've done, but I also don't. I, I'm not. Good, at, good enough at all at it to actually trust it, uh, mental arithmetic. But, you know, people who don't check their work, they, they, they somehow they just sort of feel their way to the answer. Are those people intelligent? It seems like it, right? I mean, it's got to be, right? There's nothing, there's nothing learning there, right? They're not learning anything from the problem. It, they get, you know, they use the information in the original problem, and then they go through a lot of steps, but they do it quickly and without even realizing necessarily what they're doing. They're like a, a natural sprinter. They just, you know, they just go. Irving Copey talks about this. He says, um, in in logic, you can be naturally good at it and have no idea how it works, and you, and you know, just like sprinting. And then you can be uh, terrible at it and learn how it works and get better. You know, learning how it works in the case of logic or in the case of sprinting uh, is uh, it, it will make you better at it. No matter where you, no matter what your starting point is, um, so what well, logic is, is is sort of checking. Uh, you you're, you think one thing. Uh, you think that there are epicycles and that the sun goes around the earth and that all these complicated things are going on and that's why the skies change the way that they do. But what if we check that? That that's what Feynman's cargo cult science uh, talk is all about. Okay, he puts it this way. The uh, I'll just read the, the first paragraph. During the Middle Ages, there were all kinds of crazy ideas. 
such as that a piece of rhinoceros horn would increase potency. Another crazy idea of the Middle Ages is these hats we have on today, which is too loose in my case. He's, he's you know, at a commencement, he's got one of those funny hats. Okay. Then a method was discovered for separating the ideas, which ones, for separating the ideas, which ones to try, terrible, sorry, which was to try one to see if it worked, and if it didn't, uh, eliminate it. If it didn't work, eliminate it. Try the idea to see if it works, and then, if it doesn't, eliminate it. And then he goes, he spends five pages talking about the consequences of that, or his own, you know, reflections on it, and how grim the news is about our stupidity, in quotes, if we are so stupid. If it really is stupid not to check your... We don't know. It depends on what you mean by stupid and intelligence. Um, but it sure seems like it's stupid not to check. And that means that we are largely stupid. But not entirely, and that's all that really matters, right? You can take over the whole Earth as a team, as long as you've got some non-stupid in your in the smartest stuff coming out of your brain. Guessing and checking. Guessing is one thing. Barlow gives a, you know, in the guessing uh, essay, he talks about how impressive it is that a dog can uh, recognize the sound of a refrigerator opening and get up and, you know, arrive at that location in case there might be the prospect of food. Uh, that that, you know, if you look at that as, as a physical problem, it's actually really impressive that dogs can do that. And then many, many, many other such things, you know, this, these things that we think are easy turn out to be hard. That, that's all over artificial intelligence too. Again and again, you'll hear uh, experts say that the things that we thought would be hard are easy, like formal logic, uh, and the things that we thought would be easy are hard, like recognizing what's in a picture or saying a sentence. That's, that's the gist of the last 50 years of artificial intelligence. 70 years. 70 years now. Uh, or almost 70 years. Uh, okay. What do we mean by checking? Well, what Feynman's talking about in Cargo Cult Science is uh, science, you know, and, 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 and he's uh, disparaging the cargo cult version of it. And he, he, he talks about the Pacific, I, I don't know where they were, but, you know, the, car, the, the, um, the groups of people who lived in the South Pacific during, I think, World War II, probably still do, and, and uh, they see planes flying overhead, and then they see those planes land and, and deliver supplies, uh, and then they try and figure out how to make that happen, and, what they, and they make runways, and they make fires next to the runways, and then they put on coconuts on their ears because, because they saw people with headphones, etc., etc. They, they they, they're watching something happen, and they're trying to make it happen by trying to you know, replicate the the experiment or replicate the conditions. And, and Feynman says there, you know, cargo, cargo cult science is that it's this idea that you can sort of imitate the superficial, uh, aspects of, of some phenomenon and then claim to have explained it or believe that you've explained it and then tell everybody that you've explained it. And then they listen to you and, and then you have witch doctors, witch doctors. He, he says he has, he's, he's dumbfounded that witch doctors could have ever been a thing. And then he, he said he spent time looking into it and he discovered that it makes perfect sense that they could be a thing because this, this problem of checking, checking, not checking your work. That's, that's one kind of checking, but it's just checking what you believe. Like, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the germ theory, that's kind of, you can easily imagine that how that was hard to get to astronomy, the same thing. Uh, the bowling ball and the feather. I mean, these things took a lot of work. It took a lot of noticing details for 
you know, our, our smart people, or we're all smart, but the smart people who worked on this stuff uh, to eventually come up with more impressive explanations and predictive explanations than we had from them before. But you don't even have to go that far. I mean, Feynman, you know, sort of catalogs this. He's t- <laughs> he talks about things like uh, UFOs, ESP, reflexology, what else? Um, stuff like that. Okay, fine. Now, uh, you'll know from segment one of Retrace that uh, we are not, we do not um, scoff at the idea of UFOs or or even ESP. Uh, we don't have anything interesting to say about it at this point, but there are interesting things that have been said about it, and we will get to those in due time. Those are to do, um, I guess, you know, we've put them in strategic intelligence for now. They might become things about natural intelligence, but we're going to leave that there for a moment. Um, well, you don't have to go, you know, off the deep end, quote unquote, and and swim in those waters. It, it, he gives this great story. This guy, when it was when it was big to test, you know, ideas, psychological ideas on rats, and it's still big. To do, I've done it, uh, you know, in school, but it's not it's not what it was once. You know, it was really really huge uh, as as far as novelty. And, and this guy thought that he could train rats to go into like a hallway, a little rat hallway with lots of doors, and always check the third door down from the door that they arrived, you know, the door from which they arrived, check the third door down from that on the other side of the hallway for food. And and so he would put the food behind one door, let the rat go find it, and he and the rats kept going to the last door that they went to. They didn't, he couldn't get them to go three doors down. Three doors down. There you go. A musical group. He couldn't get them to. I wonder if that's how they got, came up with the name. He couldn't get them. To, so he's, he's like, how do they know? He paints the doors perfectly. He paints the everything. The, the whole rat maze, the rat hallway. It's, it's just everything's identical. He's, he's, everything that that could possibly be cluing these rats in to what you know door had the food, even though they've arrived at it from a different location. And he tried to eliminate it. And then he thought, oh, maybe they're looking at the lights of the laboratory and somehow they're orienting themselves. And it's not the hallway that's tipping them off. It's, it's the light. So he covers it, makes it dark. Well, what if they can smell it? Rats can smell better than us, right? Can't everything smell better than us? Uh, not smell better than us, but smell better than us. Uh, okay, so let's change the smell of the food every time or change the, the smells of the environment every time. That didn't work. The rats kept going to the same door. No matter what door they came in, they always went to the door that they last found the food. And then... And then he figured it out. It was the floor. They, they noticed something about the way their foot, you know, the footfalls or, or the scratching of the nails or something. They could detect sort of that there, there were inconsistency, inconsistencies in the floor. Presumably it was wood or, or something like that uh, in the floor. So he put it on sand. He put the whole rat hallway on sand and, and you know, protected it from the light. He just totally isolated it. Took out all the stimulation, all of the information about the environment took it out and it worked it worked you took the information the environment information out and it worked now jump back to a minute ago guessing uh detecting non-chance new non-chance associations new non-chance patterns in in an environment um if if perception, if intelligence isn't about learning, it's about perception, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That, that the rat is really smart unless you go out of your way, 
bend over backwards. We'll tell you what that, that, that's a very important phrase from Feynman in a minute. You bend over backwards to get rid of all of the clues from the environment that could have helped the rat, that were helping the rat or might have been helping the rat find the food. Eviscerate the environment. You you know, make it a, a white, make it like the matrix where it's just white in all directions except the guns when they come or whatever you're interested in. And the rat can now learn the trick and it doesn't know where the food is. It can learn the trick, learning, but it doesn't know where the food is. It's not smart anymore. Is that what that means? It's not smart anymore because you took away the environment and we can't be... Smartness is not about learning. It's, it's about perception. It's about the environment. And we're using information that's in the environment efficiently to find patterns that are not chance and that are new. Maybe. Well, okay, now jump back to the Feynman point, uh, which he had, he was not talking about this at all. He was not talking about guessing and intelligence the way that Barlow was, and Barlow wasn't talking about cargo cult science the way Feynman was. Uh, Feynman, by the way, 1974, uh, you know, so they're, they're, what, 30 years apart, the two papers, uh, essays. Uh, okay, cargo cult science, uh, he says, <laughs> he looked at the literature, the subsequent literature uh, in the field of this, this rat experiment that this guy did. He, this guy did, you know, grade A science. Awesome. Eliminate every possible explanation or possible variable uh, that, that might be interfering with your access to the truth about this situation, the, the rat hallway situation. Get rid of all of it. And it takes a ton of work. It takes work. All the subsequent literature didn't cite him, didn't do what he did, didn't use the sand, didn't block out the lights. All, all of his followers were not following. They didn't, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They, didn't, they weren't checking. They didn't reproduce that experiment to make sure that they could do it. There are two reasons to do that. If, you, you know, if you're trying to check, if you're trying to get the right answer, if you're trying to be intelligent, naturally intelligent, one is you want to make sure that the person who says they had the right answer actually did, and two, you have to know that there's not something funny about your setup that's going to lead you to get the wrong answer even though you're not doing anything, you're not doing wrong what you think you're doing wrong. If you, if you, can't, if you don't reproduce the, and, this, and he gives examples of particle colliders and stuff, you know, Feynman says it's, it's so expensive to redo experiments that it gets discouraged. Part, collider time is expensive. Used to be the computer time is expensive. It's not anymore, but particle colliders are presumably not going to be desktop items anytime soon. So, wh- what do they do? Well, you can't, it's very hard to get financial support um, and moral support uh, from your colleagues and peers and superiors if you're going to redo an experiment that's already been done because what are they going to say it's no we already know what happens there well do you are you sure what kind of scientists did that experiment were they like his name was young uh, i haven't found the paper but Feynman just refers to him as young are they are they like young and his hallway rats or are they like everybody else not checking not checking their work not checking their beliefs not not is it smart? Is it intelligence to check? I don't know. But it's science. And hopefully we don't have to argue about the validity of science in terms of its power of discovery and prediction and control of nature. 
checking is science. We don't know if it's intelligence. What about fighting? Is fighting intelligent? Is fighting naturally intelligent? Well, maybe half of it is. Fight or flight, right? You're either going to flee. What are you going to fight everybody? Some people do that and they end up where? Prison, coffins, caskets. Nobody does coffins, right? Except in they end up in bad places. If, they, if you fight everybody. Now, some people seem to fight everybody. And that, that's a, that can be a very profitable impression for a person to give. But nobody fights everybody. You can't. It's a, it's a resource constraint. Okay, fight or flight. Which one's smarter? It depends on the environment. Depends on what you're up against. What's the challenge? Fight or flight. I mean, you, you know, you open up a spreadsheet and it's a mess and you have to clean it up. Fight or flight? Well, you got to fight the spreadsheet. You know, it's not smart to flee it. Although, if you can find a way of avoiding it, that's not the same as fleeing, right? Uh, a lion, a crocodile within range of you. Flight, obviously, flight is smarter. But is that really intelligence? I mean, that's like reflexes. The, the lion and the crocodile. I don't know, maybe you have... I mean, I'm sure there have been humans who... I got this lion. Now, my, my reflexes tell me that uh, this lion is not as bad as it seems. And, you know, we don't hear a lot from such people. So what happens if you, you guess, you think you've got the right answer to something, and then you don't check, and then you fight for that answer? Fight on behalf of that answer. You, when, when someone challenges it, you fight them. You haven't checked it, uh, but someone's saying you're wrong, and that doesn't feel good. So you fight. Which one's smarter? Which one's more intelligent? The checker or the fighter? It's not. It's not obvious. It's. It's. It depends on the environment, right? We can imagine times when. Someone is really, you know, an example. We can imagine somebody being a really, really good at guessing, and then we, we, uh, we see that they don't check, and but they keep getting the right answer, and then they fight for the right answer, and, and look at them. They're doing well. They're doing well. They got a lot of attention and resources and fitness and all of this wonderful stuff that we all want, right? And then we can imagine the opposite: someone guessing wrong checking, figuring out that they guessed wrong, getting better at guessing, or finding the answer by checking, not guessing. What if you get the right answer by checking, not guessing? And then you don't fight. You've got the right answer. These stories pockmark history, don't they? People who had the right answer but just didn't fight for it. I mean, even Darwin, like he wasn't even going to... He was pushed to publish by somebody else. I forget the guy's name. Exactly. I forget the guy's name because Darwin got to it first, right? But Darwin was, you know, he had the right answer, and someone else was on his heels, and he decided to get onto it, but he wasn't fighting for, and it was going to be a fight. Uh, you know, reli- the r- religious authorities of the world were not going to be happy uh, with what he had to say about where we all came from. So, which one is more intelligent, or which one is intelligent at all, fight or flight? Ugh, 
What kind of question is that? Let's set it aside. What's, what's more intelligent or what's intelligent at all? Guessing or checking? Well, Barlow thinks it's guessing, but don't we all think it's also checking? But checking is not a thing. Is it? Science is so recent. It's, but, but at the same, you know, there's the, um, I forget her name, and she, Gopnik and two others wrote um, The Scientist in the Crib. And, and she's, she's still working in artificial intelligence context, but uh, she's a, I think, cognitive scientist. And uh, Gopnik and, I forget the other two, I think they were spouses or, or, or siblings or something. Um, the scientists in the crib arguing that we basically, we are, that science, you think she's arguing that babies are scientists, but what she's really arguing is that scientists are babies. Scientists interact with the world the way that babies do. Trial and error, you know, sort of, uh, immersed observation without a lot of baggage and, and, and interpretation, just sort of like seeing what works and being curious and going out there and trying things and having, you know, whatever spontaneous ideas pop into your head, go do it, okay? You see the Legos, go do something with them. You see something up on the shelf that looks shiny and sharp, doesn't matter, grab it. Uh, you see, you know, some, some doors closed, open it, right? We, we start to learn these things are, are, need to be checked, these impulses. But, uh, but then, but then, the best scientists perhaps unlearn that. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go look. I. I look. I get paid to be a scientist. I'm gonna be really good. I am going to act on this impulsive thing and just do it privately. Do it in my lab. Do it. Don't only tell my friends. Don't even tell my friends. Don't tell anybody. There are scientists. I've read stories about the scientists who they do they do crazy things and they don't tell anybody. Uh, but I'm not gonna go into all those stories because we've run long already. Natural intelligence. Is it guessing? Is it learning? Is it the environment? Can you be intelligent without an environment? And, and quite literally, that is a question on the table. If you have a super smart person in your humble opinion and you put them in a white space, are they ever going to be smart again or while they're in that white space? That's not obvious. Is checking smart? There's nothing about the environment. Maybe it's this, this isn't true, but is the environment and how are the environment and science or the environment of checking your beliefs or checking your work? How are those two things related? Not obvious. And then fighting. It's obviously smart to fight in retrospect when you win and life goes on and you live to guess another day. But that's only in retrospect. And you can find just as many ex examples of fights that did not end well. So which is, which is intelligent? Fight? Flight? Both? Neither? We don't know. We don't know. All right, this is the first of our segments this week on natural intelligence. This is Retrace segment number 10. And we are... Signing off.